In this episode of The Last, we are bringing you the ultimate guide to breaking into the field of DevOps. Our co-host, a junior DevOps engineer, and I, with two years of experience in the field, will share our unique perspectives and provide insights into the skills and knowledge required to succeed in this exciting and rapidly growing industry. We will cover everything from the basics of what uh, what a DevOps engineer does to the tools and technologies used in the field and the amount of time it takes to make a transition. We will also talk about the importance of continuous learning and offer tips on when to know you are ready to take the leap into a career in DevOps. Whether you are a seasoned professional or just starting out, this episode will provide you valuable information and insights that you won't want to miss. So join us for this episode of The Last as we dive into the world of DevOps and help you map out your path to success in, in this dynamic and rewarding feel. What's up, Will? This is another episode for our podcast. This is our second episode, and I feel that I think this one can go a little bit better than the first one because the first one it was it was a mess to even introduce myself. <laughs> But as again, my name is uh, Alan Andres Haro, and I'm uh, working as a current, uh, for a security company as a DevOps engineer. And for anyone that needs to know you, Will, how do you how do you present yourself? Uh, I am. I mean, on YouTube, I'm fat white guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, Will. Uh, I'm a junior DevOps engineer currently, and well, you know, general troublemaker. Yeah, I agree with you. The, the one thing that I will say is like, you consider yourself as a junior when I'm considering you as a, as the most, one of the senior levels that you can, <laughs> that you can get because, oh man, if I can tell you how many times you have been saving my, my butt to be getting in trouble or stuff like that, it's many, many different times. <laughs> I mean, you've helped me out a lot too, man. But it's yeah, been like a symbiotic relationship since the beginning, really. Yeah, I think so. I think and for this episode, for the audience, I think one of the things that I want to do is I want to start talking more about how how we became uh, a person or uh, that our talents transforming into DevOps. Because, of course, we were in DevOps since we started in the tech industry. So how, how will you express how you do the transition and how you did the transition to DevOps? Uh Yeah, I guess the transition to DevOps for me was almost an accident. Uh, I have my sights set on being a software developer, a uh, software engineer, you know? Okay. Um, I got into tech support just as, as kind of a foot in the door in the tech industry, looking to network, looking to meet people. Um, and it's, it was the only job I was qualified for in the tech industry at the time. Um. And yeah, it was, I started deploying websites on a server, just like took an old dusty computer out of my closet, learned how to set it up as a server, uh, just from YouTube videos. And then started working with a friend who kind of like mentored me a little bit on the network and, and server side of things, uh, kept finding things to build, learning the code, you know, and then becoming a support, like a tech support specialist, I guess, at a network company 
I started learning the networking side of things and uh, yeah, infrastructure and code kind of came together. And then, you know, I, I guess DevOps has a little bit of a QA involved too. And uh, picked that side up doing tech support, learning how to test things, look for problems, identify breakpoints. Yeah. So those three I, things came together. And then when I was applying for the job, I, I had kind of the base skills I needed. They took a chance on me. Yeah, that's a, that's kind of cool how the, our transition has been because I feel that it's almost the same the same way that I get into DevOps because in my in my idea it was like I wanna I just don't wanna work in a, in an area where I can just work in like as a front end engineer back end engineer mm -hmm. I would like to be the one that is deploying the application and at that at that time that I was thinking on that I wasn't sure what entails into. I just knew the basics. I just knew how to do automation. That's the most stuff that I started doing it when, when I started in in the tech industry. Well, I started from support, but from support, I moved to QA. And QA catch my attention because I was like, huh, now I know how to do things quicker. Now I don't have to repeat myself all over again. So now I know how to automate it. But then you start running a lot of automation test cases, and you're like, that's pretty repetitive work. Because you're yeah. not doing, you are, maybe you have a challenge with the project that you are having, but it's basically the same concept. You're just uh, repeating, building, and learning maybe a new tool or stuff like that, but everything is going to be the same thing. And when I start learning that DevOps is kind of like, okay, it's kind of like in the middle, in between IT and software engineers, for me it was like, huh, it catch my attention because the tools that we have to learn, I feel that it's a lot of tools. Because one day we have to learn something for the infrastructure side and some other side, we have to learn how to do automation testing just to kind of like figure it out or to see if we can find any bugs in the system and to see if it's anything that needs to be reported before going through the deployment. Because if it goes through the deployment, gets in touch with the end user. If the, for some reason the application is, if it has something bad, the people that is going to be affected is not the developers. It's going to be our teams as a DevOps engineer. So if it's even a vulnerability, it's like we are kind of like in the middle of IT software engineers, and I believe like maybe cybersecurity at the, like, uh, the lower, lane, lower level. Yeah, I think it's a pretty fair assessment. And, and for example, what, to, what tools are you currently using as a DevOps? Uh, our stack is, I mean, AWS for the cloud side, uh, CDK and TypeScript for a lot of the automation stuff, um, Terraform to manage like our infrastructure services. Yeah. I'm trying to think what's everything in, uh, I'm drawing a blank now. Those are the big ones. I know there's more, but I, I just... Oh, Artifactory is another one. Yeah. Are you using Kubernetes? Uh, no, not at this job. I did it at the last job. Okay. Uh, used Kubernetes and, uh, you know, Helm charts for the templating and... Yep. Yeah, because, Rancher uh, for the orchestration. Yeah. yeah, because on my side, I'm using Helm charts, I'm using Terraform, and I'm using uh, GitHub Actions... 
I I was using Azure DevOps and oh man, I can tell you that the difference is way bigger just because how like if you have to troubleshoot something with with um, Azure DevOps, it's like the worst because you don't have a lot of stuff, a lot of guidelines. You have a couple of guides, but those guides are maybe outdated and maybe they don't reflect the new changes that they just barely did. And it's just a mess every year, the beginning of the year, especially because that's when they do the majority of the changes. And, but playing with Azure, I think it's fun. It has a lot of documentation. I, in my side, since I've been teaching also students how to do cloud, I believe G Cloud is the most clean, uh, clean way to play with Kubernetes because the Kubernetes cluster is going to be taken care of by Google. So you just have to upload everything and the Kubernetes cluster, you don't have to deal with the Kubernetes cluster. But for our side in AWS and Azure, yes, you have to deal with that. But the thing is that I feel that AWS is a little bit expensive than Azure. I don't know. Maybe some services, maybe the other services are cheaper. Yeah, it could be. I'm not really sure. Um, as a junior, I don't really have to deal with the budget for <laughs> paying AWS every month. Yeah, man, um, I mean, I don't, I don't have to deal with the budget, but I mean, I just, I just noticed that depending on how well, how well we have to implement something, if something is going to have a higher cost, we take a look at it and we do a lot of like mock-up testing just to see if it's the tool that we really need, or if it's something else that we can use. When it comes, when it became really expensive we have to really 100 percent sure telling people like this is what we need but the, the fun thing as a devops engineer i feel that is more like is that we don't specialize in one area that we are all over the place at the same time i mean for a lot of people will be the will be problematic just because i know that maybe some someone wants to focus on something but i feel that by knowing different tools, it can give it can give us a little bit of more experience. And in terms of like, if we have to go somewhere else, I feel that it's better to know more tools than just knowing one special tool, one specialty. Yeah, I, I do feel like, uh, so my eventual goal is to possibly still become a backend engineer. Mm -hmm. um, but I do feel like the experience with DevOps and learning about the infrastructure, learning about you know, networking, everything that has to happen uh, will hopefully make me better as a backend engineer because it'll be like, oh, that I can't make a packet that large. That payload is too big. We're spamming too many packets out to accomplish this. Can we do it in fewer steps? Whatever, you know, like um, hopefully will we'll give me a background to be a little more conscientious and, uh, you know, design more efficient, higher performing services. Yeah, I feel that for me, the path that I want to take is that I just want to become a, like a technical project manager mm -hmm. where I use that, where I can just start helping more people to develop tools or jumping into front end if I have to, or jumping into back end if I have to. And I, I can have an idea how to build the services and stuff like that. Because I, just by meaning that, like, I just want to become a project manager, project managers, I don't feel that they do a lot of, they don't even code sometimes. And I don't want to even stop coding. I just want to start helping more people at some time. But of course, that will help more. So I was talking to my friend McKay last week. He was in town and he's a, he was, cause he's a senior developer and he's 
talking to his manager about making the jump to staff engineer next year. Mm-hmm. And I was learning a little bit more what that entails. And, you know, you might actually like that because he was saying like, once you reach the level of staff engineer, you're expected to have like cross team impact. And okay. so that that's where you hit like tech lead. Uh, I think he said systems architect often falls under the staff engineer heading. Mm-hmm. Um, so where you're building stuff out, you're expected to be able to help multiple teams out. Um, and you know, you're the one who can draw out like how this system is going to work. And that's, I think that's going to be, that's going to be pretty fun to, to do. Yeah. I mean, just because I, the, thinking about it, like DevOps is a really good position to be just because I'm learning a lot of stuff. And for example, right now, uh, one tool that I was having a lot of trouble with is because we just barely did the switch from Azure DevOps to GigaB Actions. And I was just, uh, I was just learning and I was just doing a lot of different testing and I was doing basically Terraform, transferring all the Terraform forms that we have just to make sure that everything is going to start working. But I had a, I had a bunch of different situations. I run like 50 <laughs> different pipelines and none of them working at the beginning, uh-huh. but, uh, it was like the problem and the, one of the problems that I had, like it was just a single space, but that single space affect my whole workflow. And that didn't even let me get to the Terraform minute. So it was just giving me trouble. But I feel that at the time that you figured it out, for example, how to work with Terraform, you can even set up like a one workflow that it's just going to work and that you can just reuse the workflow to use the other charts. And that you don't even have to worry about the configuration because the configuration can be only doing it once and you don't have to worry about anything else. Yeah. Have you gotten into reusable workflows yet? Yes, I got into reusable workflows. About compound actions. Uh, that's actually something that I'm getting into as well, uh-huh. but I'm just learning as well. So, I mean that that what I'm what I'm expressing right now is that by by having the opportunity to learn as well in our jobs, because if it's a new tool or if we have any new stack that we have to learn, like for example, if the engineers decide tomorrow that they want to instead of using TypeScript and they want to use Next.js, maybe the configurations are going to be a little bit different. And I have to learn, relearn a little bit of that stuff to be able to make it work as expected. But it's, for me, I, I feel that it's way fun to be able to have my job because I feel that my daily job is just paying me for learning. Because even though I'm doing a lot of stuff and I'm doing a lot of work, I feel that I'm pretty happy with that just because they are paying me to learn rather than just like working, 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 because we worked before in tech support and you know that it wasn't a thing like, oh, let me give you some time and do your research. The research yeah. was like five minutes, 10 minutes, and that's it. Yeah, it's like do your job faster or we're going to pay somebody else to do it. Like, yep. Yeah, that's true. It's uh, it's pretty mind-blowing how different it is. Um, Like, because we're learning stuff. I mean, you know me, I was, I was setting up servers and like, I was figuring out containerization and stuff like for free in my basement just because I wanted to. And now it's like, yeah, that's my job, dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah like, but, but, I feel, but I feel that we have an opportunity to learn and that we have an opportunity to mess around with the with issues. And it's yeah. like, is that, that we talked about in the previous episode that we were talking about the, even the, having the right manager, sometimes it's going to help. Yeah. So having the, the manager is the manager is going to allow us to like, to accomplish that kind of process. Like, okay, we have new stack, new documentation that you have to read, you have to understand that. 
and then you have to build some kind of like test scenarios, figure out if those work or not, and how you can start asking questions about the new stuff. Yeah, and yeah, that's a good point. I was just saying it's uh, for the first time, it's something I was doing for free anyway. Yeah. And it's something I want to learn. So now they're paying me and I'm just learning it. It's like, yeah, it's great. <laughs> Yes, um, it's kind of funny because that's how like I've been learning how to run, how to write vulnerabilities and how to find vulnerabilities and stuff like that. And now it's just like if I want to find vulnerabilities in our system, like I would totally do it just because I'm learning and I'm just gonna be like, hey, I'm just gonna try to bug the engineers and be like, this is something that I found. This is something that we should uh, investigate more. But is by having the opportunity to do way more, I feel that. That's why that's why I really like the DevOps, because that's that just gives me a flexibility of doing multiple different things at the same time. For example, like I was just learning about the Telscale. I don't know if you have ever used Telscale. I haven't yet. No. It's kind of like a it's like a VPN service that is just gonna allow you to even get all your all your multiple devices and servers together. And you just run a command. That command is just gonna speed up and just gonna run inside of the terminal of every single device. You configure that, and you can give access to the network to to those devices. Like if you wanna give access to a specific application, you can give it that from there. I'm just learning from my own. Hmm. But I think it's also something that uh, that even my boss was like, we have to learn it just to see if we something that we can apply in our daily jobs. <laughs> and, and that was pretty fun. Like I mean, using Telscale and using some of those resources, I was like, oh, that's interesting because now I can SSH without having to install any other dependencies inside of the Linux machine or any other server. So now I just oh. install Telscale, and Telscale is going to get in charge of that just because they are using the VPN. Dang, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's kind of cool, but it's something that I didn't even know that, and I was just like messing around, and I was like, okay. You know, my service connected. <laughs> it kind of makes me wonder though, because like in support uh, at the network company, like we would often have to log into multiple devices or like run a script that goes out and connects to all of them via SSH and starts pulling like like tailing logs, watching for errors to happen. <laughs> yep. And it just makes me wonder if Tailscale came out of someone being like, "Oh, this is so annoying. I want to be able to get access to all of them at the same time." So I can tail these logs. So I want it to scale my tail, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> that's funny. But I, I think it's it's true. Like, even, even with Terraform, Terraform is such a good tool. Yeah. For the infrastructure side, like, you just build it once. And if the person that is building that stuff leave the, leaves the company, it's way easier just to jump in and learn from there rather than start writing this from the scratch. Of course, if it's a huge update for, like, let's say, I don't know, like a Kubernetes cluster, the settings from the Kubernetes cluster, they change just because they did an update into AWS or Azure. Yeah, maybe you have to rewrite all of that. But if it's not current changes or stuff like that, I think it's just pretty easy and just make it available. Terraform in it, Terraform apply, and, and... And then that's it. Like, if it's just going to do everything for you, I'm just like, that's pretty amazing that you don't even have to touch the cloud. Yeah, it's true. It's, uh, I've been pretty impressed with Terraform and how many different things it integrates with. Yeah. And, uh, and I feel that it is, 
I think it, it, it's even a cool tool because, it, as you were mentioning, like you can connect through multiple different plugins, multiple different ways, and it also give you the it gives access to even to read information. Like if you just want to know what is inside of that specific resource group or a specific group uh, inside of AWS, you can just output the information from there. So it's it's kind of cool that you can have kind of like a building, kind of like a report, I will say per se. But it's it's kind of cool that you have those abilities to those tools to make everything work together. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I thought when I took the DevOps job, like the first one, it was just going to be a step toward what I really want to do. You know, yeah. okay which was just get the, you know, move out of support, get engineer on my resume and then segue into like a backend engineering job somewhere. But yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> like if I'm being honest, I'm not, I'm not in a big hurry to get out of the field, you know? Yeah, no, no. And that, and that's actually pretty good. And the thing is that one of the, one of the skills that allow us to do all of this is because we learn how to code first. And then True. we moved through, we did a couple of transitions because even in support, we were then, you were doing like Python and I was doing Python and Selenium just to learn how to do automation. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of fun because when you learn how to, uh, how to do programming and then you start poking around multiple different places, mobile applications, web apps, front in, back in, like anything that you can imagine is just like, okay, now I understand why. I like this this job better than the other ones just because I'm able to do multiple things at the same time. But I but I also if I get in trouble, I feel that I can just find my way out to be able to write something with code and that I can just start like figuring out a lot of stuff. And I feel that the mentality of programming is kind of like even on, even on my house, I have an issue and I'm start thinking like okay, let's break it down into little steps. And let me see how I can figure this out. Yeah, I, th I think uh, especially troubleshooting is a mindset. Um, I don't know if it's just troubleshooting or if it's that whole engineering mindset where it's like, how is this built? So it's like, how can I make it happen? Or if something's wrong, how do I, how do I identify the problem and fix it? Yeah, but it's a... Uh, it's a skill that you can build just like anything else, you know? And yeah, if you, if you build that skill in one field, it's going to apply in another because it's yeah. how you're approaching a problem. I think programming and troubleshooting is the two steps that I will say, like that's what can give you a job in the cloud or even in the, in the DevOps space, even, even as a site reliability, because it depends on if the, if the team is really small, a hundred percent, you're going to be, be doing multiple different things. And if it's as well, for example, my company is small, the, the team is small and, and it's just funny because it's just like, who's going to do the, the, all the work, like we have to do it. So it's not a way to like, oh, we are going to hire maybe a contractor or something like that. It's like, we have to figure it, figure it out and be able to respond to to issues and to be able to troubleshoot issues with multiple different parts of the business. And that's, that's interesting because the, having the mentality of how to troubleshoot stuff is way fun because sometimes you can get issues like it's not even part of DevOps and you're like, ah, oh, how can I solve the problem? 
And how yeah. can I give a better solution? Because that's that's what is sometimes I'm thinking just to see like what else can I do to solve that issue? Because I see that issue that it happens often. I don't want that to happen again. So what can I do to achieve a better goal to solve that problem? I don't know. That's my way of thinking. Yeah. No, I've, I've seen some of that too. Like where I'm working in a pretty small company right now, I see my boss being able to jump around, you know, it's like she's head of DevOps, but then she also will jump in and like tackle a project for the firmware team, you know, and write something there. Or, uh, she jumps over, works with the data team a little bit, like how do I do this data migration and, you know. And I feel that it's kind of scary when you see those type of people jumping in and working in multiple different things because you're like, what the hell in the world? How do you do that? Yeah, it makes me feel, you know, like I've got a lot left to learn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you're thinking like, oh, that's cool that I know this and this and this and this. But you see other people and you're like, oh, wait a second. I don't know that much. Yeah, it's like, oh, cool. I, You know, I know how to like make a query and, you know, uh, do a stored procedure and like, you know, these fun things. And then she's like, Oh yeah, I could migrate, you know, like a whole bunch of data from this environment to this environment while everything's live and like have a high level of certainty that it's going to work out, <laughs> you know, just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like I learned how to pull up my own underwear. Woo. Maybe one day I'll be an adult. <laughs> And, and that's and that's especially funny when we see that because I see that also with uh, with a couple of managers that I had before, and with the current one that I have because uh, everything when I see talking and I see I try to solve the problem, he sometimes he approaches me and he's like, "Oh, this is the better way to solve it." But the level of confidence that they have is like is the stuff that I want to learn because it's kind of yeah. like, right now I'm doing something I'm like, if they ask me like this is gonna work out at the first time I'm like, oh, no, not sure about that. <laughs> yeah that's uh i look forward to having that level of confidence as well yeah it's a, but i think it's something that we are working on and, and that's kind of fun how we are being poking around in and in, in places and that we can that we figured it out how to become devops engineers but i feel that it, it was kind of like as you were mentioning like it's kind of like a, i don't think it's by accident because that's the stuff that we were doing even in our free time because that's what a lot of people don't understand. Like it's the same thing that that a, when a person wants to go to the gym, that they spend like two, three hours in the gym every day. That's what we were doing with code. Yeah. Every day doing something new, something fun, and we get into issues. It was funny because every time I'm like, "Hey, I'm building this project. Can you help me out?" Or you were the same. Like I have this other project and I have this issue, and I feel that all of our friends are kind of like in the same space. Mm-hmm. But it's just funny because it's like everybody's doing almost the same thing as us. Maybe they are doing different and different positions, but we are dealing with similar issues. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's cool because like most of, uh, like our little group that we like, we're talking about our coding projects and helping each other out and stuff have moved up in the tech world, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that common coming from tech support right now to move up into other fields you know it happens but yeah but i think i well i think i for me the understanding of how the reason why i get asked from tech support it was like 
you know that we were trying to do way better than tech support and we're trying to jump in into other positions but i feel that jumping out and working in the same company as another uh, like the, doing another position in the same company i think is way harder than just going out and find out a better position that's true uh i'm actually glad that you <laughs> helped me make that jump because it uh yeah, it changed my mindset. Yeah, where it was yeah. just from like, oh, these people are the ones that did me the favor of helping me cut into the tech industry. So, you know, I'm loyal to them and I, you know, I'm waiting for them to give me the opportunity where it was like, like, yo, shut up, come over here, do the same <laughs> job for more money. And, you know, and then that that's where I started feeling like, oh, I have a set of skills now. Like I can take this and I went into a whole different, like I had to learn networking right like like real networking stuff but uh yeah it's uh the support thing was the same and the code skills and understanding that was the same so yeah, I think yeah. Another, another hard thing in the devops area is networking because networking can go all over the place depending on how you how you have all the stuff set up because if you have an on-premise service it's not the same as having it in the cloud no, that's true. I got pretty good at on-premise because that's what we were doing at the last job. And then like some things are the same in the cloud, but some things really do work differently. And like it's a whole new skill set to learn. <laughs> the thing is that at the, at the, at, if you think about it, like in going from on-premise to cloud, the difference is, is not in the, when you have an on-premise, you don't even have to worry about the cost. Because maybe it's another person that is going to be dealing with that, but you're just going to be dealing with the hardware and whatever is going to be communicating those servers to other. Yeah, there's a fixed amount of cost. It's like there's a certain amount of hardware failure that's going to happen, and then it's you can only draw so much power because you have a limited number of servers. But yeah, on the cloud, it's like they have a massive server farm that can scale as big as it needs to. So you, yeah, you can get yourself... Yeah, now, now you have to own, not only learn like how to, okay, now I know networking and I know how everything works together. But now if I overspend things on the cloud, it could be an issue as well for us. So, mm-hmm. and, and it's just kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of fun. We have to, how we can communicate because even, even if people telling you like, oh, now let's communicate with someone in finance and see, if we figured out the cause and, and stuff like that, and they're going to give you a budget or stuff like that. Sometimes it's not going to work out because they don't even, especially finance people, because they don't know exactly how much everything is going to cost. Because now it's part of as part of a role to get to know the calculators and to get to know how much is going to be like if you're running three servers. Okay, what uh, what is it be the amount of the the, the disk and how ma- how much memory do you have to put in place into that server? And for how many days are you going to be running the server every day? Are you going to be running the server every day? Are you going to be running updates? Are you going to be doing more stuff? And depending on all of that stuff is how much you are going to be paying for that. Yeah. So I think, I think it's, I think it's just by doing cloud stuff, I think it's more to worry about just because the amount of tools that we have to purchase and the amount of things that we have to purchase inside of the cloud. So I feel that sometimes it's just, I don't know. I think sometimes it's a lot of reading as well, because sometimes you can get a, 
two or three different tools that are in that you can do an implementation with, but that implementation is gonna tell you that if you do that with the other tool, it's gonna be better than this one. But yeah, and, yep. and by reading the guides, that's what you have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, um, whether you're on prem or in the cloud, yeah, you gotta read the guides. It's not all the way to the things. So it's just pretty, it's pretty insane how things can go because by doing DevOps, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna tell younger people like, oh yeah, that's fine. You can jump in into DevOps and you don't have to know anything because it, especially in this role, I feel that it's not like a QA automation because normally with QA automation, you start with manual testing and you start like manual testing. It doesn't require, it requires to get to know how to troubleshoot issues and how to troubleshoot a lot of, a lot of steps. But I feel that QA and, and other positions are easy to get in because it doesn't require a lot of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can, you can hire a junior QA like manual tester with very, very little knowledge or experience and slowly build them up and yeah, eventually becoming a, uh, like software developer and test, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, coming into DevOps without any of those base skills might be tough. I mean, the right person could probably do it, but yeah, yeah I feel like there's a lot of pieces that you need to know. Yeah, it's going to take, it's going to take a little bit of time. So is either, either way, I think it's just something that we have to understand and I feel that the approach to take is that if you are in tech support, you are in QA, or you're even you're a software development, software development, which is kind of I feel that it's kind of weird. If a, if a software engineer jumping into DevOps, I feel that is the transition to software engineer to DevOps is doesn't happen often. I feel that it's more DevOps jumping into backend or full stack than doing it backwards. I don't know. Yeah, um, I've known a few that have jumped into DevOps. But a lot of times it wasn't like a choice they made initially. It was like someone needs to do the like the software lifecycle thing and we don't have someone, so you do it yourself, manage it yourself, then they get interested. You know? Yeah. Like my boss has done uh I mean I I know she's been a software developer. I think she might have been a like an architect before, like systems architect. Yeah. And then she made a jump into DevOps and yeah. But she's a wizard though. Like those, those varied skills have made her a fascinating person to watch. Like I watch her jump on different issues and like, yeah, it, it's cool to see someone with all those disparate skills though. Yeah, I think I think for the people that is listening, I think one uh, one course that I recommend if you if you if they don't know anything about networking, I feel the good IT certification. I think that certification is maybe the at the beginning level. The first course is just to learn the basics of networking and how to jump in into Linux, how the permissions in Linux work, how the permissions work in Windows and Mac OS and installer. Like it's just pretty basic, but at the time that they start explaining all the different layers of networking. I feel that that type of course is going to help you to understand the, the basics of networking. And from that, I feel that every cloud has their own tools to be able to learn things for free. 
So I think if you if they want to get into certifications, I believe Azure is gonna you can apply in, in Azure and you can get it for free. But in AWS, you can do the same thing, and some some of them are gonna cost you money, but the majority of the courses are for free. Yeah, most of the courses are free in the uh, the tests, the lower level tests anyway. I think it's like associate. That lower, yeah. Anyway, it's not that expensive, so there is a cost involved in that, but it's not bad. How how do you feel about the A plus cert? Getting people started on IT and stuff. Uh, the, oh, like, is there, like the Google IT certification is basically the A plus. So okay. that, Pretty similar content it covers. Yeah, similar content is the same type of questions that they ask in every single test. Like, I mean, if you are able to jump in, like even the test, like. If you pass all of those tests, I think those are not pretty difficult, but it's basically the same thing as having the uh, certification. I mean, they okay. give you the certificate, but the certificate is coming from Coursera, which is not like uh, the most optimal way to get certifications because there's, they're not going to give you like a really high value. But I feel that any anything that you get and that you get into the your resume saying that you have the certificate or this certificate, it doesn't matter from which it's coming from. I just feel that it's okay. more like a, people need to start jumping into things like we did, like we did, we did in the past, where we just just playing with Docker containers. So now we have an application running. How can we add it into a Docker container? How can we build an image? How can we build multiple different images? We have backend services and how we can connect the front end and the back end together just by building infrastructure and playing with service. I feel that learning Linux is kind of like one of the huge pieces of the work because the majority of the servers are gonna be Linux. Unless you are going and going in as in a company that they're building maybe with C or C, they normally gonna be having everything because they're building applications for Windows. So every single server is going to be Windows. But other than that, I think Linux is... Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of C running on Linux, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, not, not C Sharp. Yeah. I guess, like, like C Sharp, ASP.NET stuff, that's... Yeah, that's, that's basically on Windows. Yeah, but, sorry for my... Oh, God. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Never mind, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry for the confusion, but... Um. Yeah, man, I'm getting tired. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Linux was a. I I stumbled into Linux too, where it was just like free. So I spun up an Ubuntu server because that's what everybody was doing. And and just you know, if anybody's watching this and thinking like, oh, how do I get started? Yeah, you know, I started with a little computer like. It was 10, 10 ish years old when I got it. And I got it for free from a school. Like it was so old and crummy that a school was getting rid of it. And it was just like batches of them, a couple of them nobody bought. So I picked up two of them. They're like, hey, you can just carry a couple out. So I grabbed two. I was able to take enough pieces out of the two to make one run. <laughs> you know, like RAM sticks were bad in one process, it was bad in the other. And it just, I got it spun up a free piece of crap potato computer can run linux like linux is so lightweight and you, you can uh if, if you really want to try it you can go out and make something happen you know yeah and I, and I think 
think it's a good point that you're touching because a lot of people that are listening to us is like, oh, maybe you guys are working as a DevOps and now you're making making good money and I still and now you can tell you can tell me that you can use any computer, but I think it's it's something that you have to trust that you can use any computer because I think if people wants to become an engineer and try to get the best tools all the time, it's just like mm, you're never gonna have the best tool because every year everything is gonna change. Yeah. Like you can't you just can't migrate and like roll over infrastructure fast enough to keep up with the cutting edge of everything yeah yeah and uh, and uh, i mean if we are talking about maybe the perfect computer like uh, as soon as you had you are some years in in the in the field and stuff like that, i feel that for me mac os is the perfect system yeah i like mac i mean you can have windows and you can have a wsl too which is going to be the an inclusion of a Linux, but I still I feel that Windows you have to troubleshoot a lot of stuff before you jump in into whatever you're building. Even if you're building something simple, I feel that you are maybe dealing with more stuff on Windows than Mac OS. Even even in Python development, it's as simple as like you Mac has Python installed. Just so yes. you might have to update your version or something. But it's there. It was Windows. I had to like go to the Python website. Down there was nothing like Homebrew or any of that. Like <laughs> I had to go download the shit, install it. Yeah, I mean yeah. Windows, you have Chocolate, but even have, like having Chocolate as a as the manager, it's just like I feel that it's it sucks because sometimes you have to like I don't know all the amount of features that you have to enable even to make it work with a WSL. Just to start with that, it's just like it's a lot of that, a lot of things that you have to do. Yeah, and there's little quirks with the networking in WSL and stuff, and some of the updaters that yeah, it's yeah, like they have happy version where they can just run um, their virtual machines inside of Windows and stuff like that. Just like uh, I don't know if I'd like it or not. I mean, yeah, it's maybe... it's more complex. You know, it, I feel like you have to know more things, or you have to learn more things to get to the point where like you could actually start experimenting and like deploying something. Yeah. And, uh, and I feel, I feel the same way because if you have a Mac, it's just one terminal and you don't have to worry about anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can configure your terminal and you can figure it out how to install packages. You use you, for example, for me, for myself, using homebrew, homebrew is going to solve every single dependency that I have. And I just like brew install this or brew uninstall this. Yeah, and and like if you have been experimenting with Linux for like a server, a lot of the same stuff, like a lot of the commands are the same because they're both like Unix kernel, so they a lot of a lot of like similar things run in similar ways. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, like right, most I commands think. I can copy paste from Ubuntu and use in a Mac terminal. There's a few that are different, but yeah, the the worst thing is when you have to manage. Three multiple different operating systems when you have Windows involved, and you're like, oh, have fun with that because <laughs> nothing that you do in Linux and Mac OS is going to work the same in Windows. Yeah, I'm, I'm on a Windows machine right now. It's my gaming rig, you know, but I, I don't do any sort of development on it anymore. Yeah. It's just, it's a headache. Yeah, and the headache is solved by not using Windows. <laughs> I mean, not not hate to any operating operate system because every uh, everything should work in, in such a way that if you learn really well, because maybe 
maybe it can be a guy that is a really Windows user and it's just gonna bombard us with a lot of a lot of stuff that is gonna tell us, oh guys, what you're telling me is not is not right. But for me, when it when it tells into like before before the, when I really when I barely started with DevOps in this uh, in this current role that I have, it was uh, it was kind of funny because they give us a Windows computer. But every single time that I run into Kubernetes, like it was it was not even a an issue with Kubernetes. It was an issue with Windows. When everything was stuck in the, the in the logs, and I was like, I have to delete the logs, I have to clear the cache, and then I have to I start one more time running my test with Kubernetes. But uh, in the meantime, since I didn't know any a lot of stuff from Windows, I was like, well, now I have to spend a lot of time researching and figuring out a lot of issues. <laughs> That's why I don't like Windows, especially because of that. Yeah, I, don't, I just don't like Windows because of like stability problems. Yeah, even with the, with the silly updates, you tell them not to update, and it's just gonna update anyways. Yeah, and like all the like a bunch of settings are hidden in like deep menus and like weird managers and shit. You know. Yeah. Which I mean, th- there's a reason for Windows to be how it is. Yeah, of course, you know, of course. Yeah, it's, it's not. I mean. <laughs> It's going to sound a little cruel, but like basically Windows was set up how it is to idiot proof computers. You know, that's like fair. you can get yourself in a serious bind in like pretty easily on Linux systems. <laughs> like you can, you can mess something up and then just have to totally reinstall. And, and most of that stuff in Windows is locked down and hidden in deep menus so you don't get yourself in trouble. But eventually you'll come up against that as a dev and that is not very fun on windows yeah and i, I think one of the last topics that i want to bring bring to the conversation that i think this is outside of the conversations that we have about devops but how do you feel with the new implementations with with microsoft that is uh, building the new edge with uh, artificial intelligence adding chat gpt as the implementation for building a better browser uh i don't really have any feelings on it like i haven't used it oh you haven't used it no have you have you ever used a chat gpt now or not really no, not yet not yet well i can no, tell I you i think chat gpt is it can help us to search things a little bit faster than just researching like for the problems if you put an output at like let's say that you have an issue with the terminal and you run certain command that doesn't work you can just put the output inside of ChatGPT and it's gonna give an explanation. What I feel that it's gonna it's gonna be better for us is that it's is not only gonna find the issue, it's just gonna explain it to you. Right. Yeah, so that I mean, that sounds awesome. <laughs> and yeah. when I have an occasion to use it, I, I'm sure I'll develop a similar opinion. Yeah, because I, I think I think that's the only usage that I see it right now. Because a lot of people's like, oh yeah, maybe that thing is is gonna start us to eliminate jobs and stuff like that. But it's just like, mm, I don't think so. I think it's just more about how to use the tool because you have to know how to ask things, and it's, a, it's the same thing that we were talking about before. Like you have to know how to troubleshoot the stuff to be able to know how things work to be able to ask the artificial intelligence how you want things, and I would say it's for the majority of the time it's pretty accurate and it's going to give you really amazing results. 
but you have to know how to ask questions. Because if you just ask you. silly questions, it's just going to come up with the baseline of uh, the basics of what you, whatever you're doing. But I feel that by having the Bing browser and like now that uh, even Google is announcing that Bart is going to be the next telling you that it's going to be involved. I'm excited to see how artificial intelligence are going to help us with our daily jobs. I mean, just to draw a few things. Even if they just make like search engines more efficient, like get you better results. And like you said, give you some explanations on how things work and why not just like trying to like shotgun it and check through the top 10 results and see which one's closest to the problem you're dealing with, you know, like that, that alone would be worthwhile. Yeah. Or even, even better when you're asking a question that's stack overflow. Right. And I have a few questions where they were like, are you serious asking this question? And I'm like, I'm asking because I have another, I'm asking because I'm kindly looking for the answer, but I don't know where to look for it. But it's so funny because some people just answer like, oh, you should know this. And I'm like, that's why I'm asking, but, but is it, but it will be better if uh, we have a kind of like a tool where like if we have issues with any, any project or any tool, it will be fun to see like, okay, this is the output that I'm getting, why I'm getting this output. And that if it gives me an explanation, I will be like, okay, now I understand it. Now I know maybe how to figure this out. Yeah. Okay, man. Well, I think for the second episode, I think this is going to be it. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I know that we do a lot of stuff during the week, but hey, if someone and wants to give us a reach out to us, just feel free to ask any questions, uh, leave the comments uh, on, on the YouTube channel, subscribe to subscribe to the channel, and soon you're going to start seeing more stuff in, the, in multiple different channels just to have shorts and have more explanations and i think one thing that we should start doing is maybe we can do some coding while we're talking oh that'd be fun yeah like do some some walkthroughs on stuff or you know yeah like kind of spoof some of the stuff we do for work to like show hey here's day in the life yeah that'd be cool yeah i think that would be cool if we give some explanations to the people but well will i think we give a huge explanation on how to become a devops i think that's pretty great, and I think that's that's all for today. Thank all you. Right, thanks for having me back, man. Thank you. I want to man. <laughs>